Yes. I haven't forgotten. Okay. So today we're talking about domestic terrorism. Did anybody, before we get going on that, does anybody have it? Are you working on your papers? Does anybody have their iLearn pulled up? When is paper one due? 29th. 29th. So we have a week and a half. It's the end of tail end of next week. Next Friday. Next Friday. Okay. Remember, you're doing an event or a group. The problem with turning stuff in is that means I have to grade it. So I guess I assigned it. So. Did anybody have, did anybody come up against any questions about that? Just make make sure you're getting five peer-reviewed journal articles in there. They say about that when we went over it. I should have. Is that so? Make sure you get those. Um, and then any other good sources is great. Title page. You're doing Chicago if you're a poli sci major. Approved style of your college if you're not a poli sci major. You'll be able to do it as a file upload to turn it in. So. Okay, how many people are doing groups? Terrace groups is their paper. Okay, how many people are doing events? Is there, how many people need to start their paper? And are willing to admit it? You can start, you can start right now. So, it's not super long, but you don't want to wait till the last minute either. Okay, so today I really like this chapter on domestic terrorism. One interesting thing that we've already talked about is we don't define domestic terrorist groups in this country. So keep that in mind. So this is, this is academia and, you know, really defining these groups. And then government talks about domestic terrorist threats. Um, but there's no official domestic terrorist list, which is, which is interesting. Why do you think we don't have a domestic terrorist list, and should we have one? Why do we have an international list and not a domestic list? Any thoughts? Yeah? There was a lot of talk about like how it's not really, because we have free speech, it's not a crime to be a part of any group, but it's the actions that would be like termed illegal. And so if you kind of like term them as a terrorist organization and make it as if it's criminal to be a part of the group, then that's kind of taking away free speech in a sense. Okay, I think that's part of the story probably. Something to do with being in this country and, and freedoms. And there's certainly, yeah, certainly groups that maybe are groups of concern that haven't done ever done anything and are kind of up against the the national security free speech line and haven't crossed it or something that plays into it. Do I have another hand over here somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. I think too it's just a lot more politicized so you know. And also like if you can go part of these groups or have opinions about these groups are also voters. And so I don't know, it might just Ah, very cynical way of looking at it. Yeah. I like that. It's like a political <laughs> sciencey way to look at this. I like that. No, I that's my plan for sure. Could it also be that when we declare um, other groups as like terrorist groups, it helps us get international cooperation in fighting against them? Like we're because yeah. we internal ones, like we can deal with that on our own. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's part. So yeah, I think that's right. So. We need to define international because we have to work with other countries, but this is inside our borders. We need to take care of it. We have, we can, we can charge, you know, if we can just, one, we've already talked about this, it's, it's, it's hard, it's sometimes hard and sometimes unnecessary to prove terrorism as the crime, so why should you label groups if you're not gonna do that anyways? Maybe part of the reason is because we also don't want a reputation of a nation that has a problem with internal <laughs> yeah. issues. Just keep naming groups. Well, because we look down on countries a little bit that can't, don't have a monopoly of violence. Yeah. That can't control what happens in their borders. Right. And so we want to look competent on the international stage, like, yeah, domestically we're good. So another, that's a kind of a different way of like looking at the polit political expediency of not labeling groups as terrorist groups. So we, we do a lot more of domestic uh, acts. This is a domestic terrorist act. Something else just popped into my mind that you had mentioned before. A lot of times it's more difficult to like pin down what terrorism is and it's easier to charge these criminals yeah. from like other laws that they break. You know, yeah, they're terrorists, but we're gonna charge them for like Yeah, so stuff. if you if you start labeling all all groups all these groups domestic terrorist groups officially, then every time somebody does something you have to you you you're forced kind of to charge that, right? Is that the thinking? 
and then that makes could make it more difficult for you to do. So that might be a reason. Does anybody think it would be nice if we, I mean, this is a strange question, but it is a terrorism class. Should we have a domestic terrorism, or have we made it the right decision not having one? I think we made the right decision not having it because, honestly, if they define some people as a terrorist, domestic terror group, then I would just throw it back on them and say, you're the biggest domestic terror group of them all. You know what I'm saying? Is that then I feel like then you can point more fingers at the at things the government has done in the past. Yeah. And yeah, and you, you still kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. We're making a list right now. Yeah. Let the academics and the newspapers and the and and people that write books about terrorism let them make the list for you. Then you don't have to make the list, right? So in essence, there is a list, but it's just not a government yeah. uh, list, official list. Um, so I think you get the kind of the best there, but. Any other thoughts on that? Okay, I want to show you that this is, I, I just thought of this, but I thought it would be kind of fun in terms of like introducing this topic. So this is a little clip about January 6th. Maybe just, we'll open it up with a discussion about this. If I've got sound here. Before Congress for the first time since the January 6th insurrection. Natalie Brand reports he is outlining what his agency knew and when. FBI Director Christopher Wray says the Bureau sent out a warning of violence ahead of the January 6th Capitol insurrection as soon as the information became available. It was, as you noted, uh, raw, unverified, uncorroborated information uh, that had been posted online. Uh, and my understanding was that that information was quickly, as in within an hour, uh, disseminated and communicated with our partners, including the U.S. Capitol Police. Ray says the FBI has been working around the clock to identify the people involved in the attack, with more than 300 arrested so far. That attack, that siege, was criminal behavior plain and simple, and it's behavior that we, the FBI, view as domestic terrorism. Lawmakers also want to know what the Bureau is doing to address the ongoing threat from domestic violent extremist groups, including white supremacists. Racially motivated violent extremism, specifically of the sort that advocates for the superiority of the white race, uh, is a persistent, evolving threat. It's the biggest chunk of our racially motivated violent extremism cases, for sure. A new report from George Washington University identified 33 suspects with military backgrounds. 36% of those with military ties were linked to extremist groups, including the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and Three Percenters. Natalie Brent, CBS News, Capitol Hill. You can't okay. plant when you need a gun. No, you can't. You cannot. If you're American, you could need it at any time. You could just need it. All right, so I thought that would be a good discussion to have because there's a lot going on at the Capitol riot, right? So, so there's the FBI director. He's been in office for, you know, he's under Trump. He's been in office for you know, three or four years now. Um, talking about it as a domestic terrorist event, I, I think it clearly is. But you also had, you also had, you had a lot, lots of different people there that day, right? You had people there that, I know people that were there from Idaho Falls that didn't go into the Capitol that were there to protest that, you know. So you had people that were just, as, you know, protests are messy sometimes, part of a, part of a, what they thought of a, of a peaceful protest to others who were affiliated with terrorist, or, what we consider terrorist organizations that were there to do mayhem that fortunately they didn't, weren't able to do as much as maybe they wanted. And then others that just sort of went into the building, right? Were your friends prosecuted at all? No, they didn't do anything wrong, yeah. I don't know if I'd even call them friends. <laughs> People that I know that I'm not close with. Yes. Yeah. Did we have like a member of the church on the Senate floor that jumped off the balcony or something? Or hung from it? Yes. He was like a return missionary. Was a, yes, it was a return missionary. Was he from Boise? Yeah. Or was, yeah, he was from Boise. Yeah, and he got in a little trouble, I think. So, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting in that respect because you you know like I said the the folks that I know from Idaho Falls didn't actually go into the Capitol so they didn't do anything wrong they didn't commit any violence or anything outside of the Capitol you know once you once you go in there with that group that's causing all kinds of problems you've you know you sort of cross the line and then you had groups that meant the whole time to to cause problems and get in there and 
and groups that are affiliated with, with, with terrorism and some groups that we're going to talk about today. So, and groups that did some coordinating to be there on the day. You know, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what is, how it, you know, how it wouldn't be terrorism when you're causing destruction in a Capitol building that you're not supposed to be in while they're in session and you want to, you want to stop the certification of the presidential election. I mean, that's just to me is, meets the definition in so many ways. Um, so, um, it's been interesting to kind of watch the process of these folks getting rounded up and, and some of them being actually, you know, a little contrite about doing what they did that day. The shaman guy, have you guys, like, like heard him talk about, like, how he was, like, regrets, regrets going in there and doing stuff and how he wants to change and interesting stuff, but, um, the guy with the horns, I mean, he was pictured everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, um, so it's interesting, um, from that respect. Any other, any other, like, kind of lessons learned from the Capitol riot? Now, the governor, there was a plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Did you guys know that? That's, that I think is related because you've got similar, similar types of groups, um, a similar group that was behind that, that got foiled. Um, so um, I think there's definitely lessons to be learned that we need to, you know, if we weren't taking, you know, and it's mostly in that example of right-wing extremism, seriously in this country, we should ought to be um, because it is a real threat um, to be concerned about and, and going forward it should be as well. So, you know, I, I like the, how the FBI director said, we, you know, we consider this domestic terrorists. We know there were groups there that were domestic terrorists and the act itself is domestic terrorism. So the terrorist groups that funded, what was their specific goal going into? To disrupt the election, Just to, to keep Trump in office, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, and then you had some folks like you had, you had and this gets back to like talking about terrorist organizations. You have you have folks that are this QAnon folks, right? Who you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that QAnon is actually a terrorist organization at all. Even you know you can believe in consp crazy conspiracy theories and not be very well organized and not be a terrorist, right? But but there's QAnon folks who have done terrorism, so that's where they're that's where that group in particular is a little concerning. But uh, but they're similar to uh, what was the what was the left group I was talking about that was that I didn't Antifa. Mm -hmm. So I see QAnon a lot of the same way, very dispersed and unorganized, and I'm not ready to throw them in with the covenant, the sword, and the arm of the Lord, or Aryan Nation, or those groups. But yeah, so now you start to see some QAnon folks doing strange things like killing their kids and blowing up, blowing up uh, their vehicle in the middle of Memphis. So that, you know, that's concerning. Sorry, last question. Uh, so in the book, they were talking about all these far right groups and how they hate Jews. But isn't it these far right groups that they're all typically huge supporters of Israel now? Because well, some maybe, not all. Okay. Yeah, um, we'll talk. Yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get into this. I just I'm just opening it up okay. with this discussion of of uh, the capital the capital riot. So I think anytime you know I, the same thing the same thing. I think people have a hard time when there's lots of different variables going on. You know the way that people kind of observed the Black Lives Matter movement and said, "Look, these are all terrorists." Well, hold on. First of all, the group's not a terrorist group. Secondly, most of it was peaceful. And thirdly, yeah, if people are destroying property and causing physical violence, then yeah, let's arrest them. But you have to work through all the different. And you had a little bit of that going on on the January 6th event, right? You had some folks that didn't do anything wrong too. There were a lot of people there, but you had a lot of people that did some really stupid things, and and some that were there. I mean, when you're bringing tape and zip ties and things into it because you want to kidnap somebody, you know, that's a problem. So you're stealing property from Nancy Pelosi and others. But yeah, and, and, and certainly there were people there that got carried away and aren't parts of terrorist organizations that didn't destroy property and were walking around in there that are going to be dealt with a little differently, right? I also heard like people there kind of participated in it um, in response to the election results. Oh, absolutely. Of, yeah. Of, like, instead of keeping Trump there, his results were shady or maybe thought it was until this happened. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they say, you know, there's been plenty, and we're, we're picking on a, a right wing example. There's plenty of left wing examples we'll do today, too. So, just happened to be 
from that perspective this time. Didn't you have people from both sides of the political spectrum there at that point? Um, not really. No? Yeah. That was some of the misinformation that came out. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that I know that people tried to say that Antifa was there, and that's what they always say. But is there, I mean, if there's a, I mean, has anybody from Antifa or any other left organization been arrested? I don't know that there's been one person arrested. I think they're pretty much all right, right wing. Testimonies: The Capitol Police were saying that the people in the building were saying, "Oh, Trump sent them." The funny thing to me too is like, and I would caution anybody, and I'm not, I'm not picking on you, but you know, like I saw a lot of a lot of people who, and I have lots of conservative friends and family members that are conservatives, and who knows what I am? Um, <laughs> I could be left. I could be right. I could be right down the middle. The, you know, call, call, call it what it is, whether it's right or left. Um, and I think that's what gives you credibility. I mean, I saw a lot of people throwing in with the Capitol riot, like, okay, of all the things to try to defend, let's pick something different. <laughs> you know, and it could have been, it could have been a leftist type revolt, and I would say the same thing for, for Democrats. It's like, why are we trying to defend this nonsense? Um, if it was a peaceful protest, fine, let's, let's go for it. But yeah, it's just kind of indefensible, but. Um, now, that being said, I think, I think there's evidence of Antifa being other places. I just haven't seen any real evidence of them being there. And I know people said it, but I need to see some evidence. Um, not that they don't hate other places and cause issues too, but yeah. Well, okay, I'm not trying to be argumentative or anything, but I don't think anyone's gonna arrest Nancy Pelosi's son-in-law. He definitely was there. And like there's pictures everywhere all over the internet of him being there. You know, I am seen. He's a part of Antifa necessarily, but so I haven't. This is the, if that's true, I haven't heard any. I mean, this is the first that I'm hearing of this, yeah. the very first. So do you want to send me an email to show me where you're seeing this from? Sure. Yeah, because I because I, I that would to me that should have been widely reported, and I didn't see anything on. And okay, so let's assume you're right, which I have some doubts that you are right. First of all, um, I, I, I'm I'm worried that you might have some misinformation. Um, if not, that's fine. Um, but even if there were Antifa folks there, what, what does that have to do with going into the Capitol and causing problems? I was just gonna say, I think like kind of what you're talking about is there's a lot of variables. And so I think that when, I mean, we're in Idaho and I don't know, a lot of people here are conservative. When you talk about this, it's like, oh, like all Trump supporters supported this happening. It's like, that's not necessarily true. And I think everyone knows that. Yeah, and that's just, not, I'm, I'm not even yeah, saying that. Yeah, and I know that. And I just, I think that that's a very like defensive thing. Like yeah. we're all like, oh no, like we don't support that. And I have friends who I saw on their social media, they're like, it's time to fight back. And I was like, whoa, we have gone way too far. Right. Like that is not okay. Well, that was my point is like, why are we throwing in yeah. with this, this riot so thing? I think there's just a lot of variables and like a lot of different people and. There's a difference between, so so there's a, we have trouble when things get complex, everybody does. Yeah. So there's a difference between being upset about election and perceived, well, we, that's a whole nother ball of wax. <laughs> Do you, you guys know for, you guys know that we, we always have international election observers in this country at the same time. So, so the reports coming out of the election observers said it was the most honest election in American history that we just had. Um, now, let's say you don't believe that, fine. Have a protest, let's talk about it. That's different than going and invading the Capitol, right? Uh, just real quick, I found um, the AP did like a fact-checking thing, and the photos of Pelosi's son-in-law were him like outside reporting yeah. for some kind of Dutch news outlet. He wasn't a part of the riot. Okay. Yeah, that's why I, I'm real careful before I even, because I never know. So I was telling my class, I was telling my father, I wore a, did I tell you guys this? I wore a, uh, I wore a tie from um, the Lincoln Memorial. So there were some, during the Black Lives Matters movement, you guys probably saw some of this. Did I tell you guys about this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you get, you get a lot of misinformation out there sometimes. Uh, I mean, I genuine curiosity, how do you measure honesty in an election? I mean, like, I just want to know how the process works. What would you measure? Oh. <laughs> Access to the, you know, all kinds of things. It's not my area of expertise. Oh. Um, so, but, but you would go and you would look at, you know, access to be able to register to vote. Uh, are, are you able to, to get to the election? Did, did the results, did the results of the election match up with 
um, who cast ballots and all kinds. So there's all kinds of different measures that you might use to look at. And we do the same thing in other countries to measure, to measure how effective the elections are. So my question is, and maybe because I'm international, I don't really understand a lot of things, but is that even doable what they were trying to do? Like, could Trump be in power today if, if they succeeded? Don't you guys have other, like... I mean, I don't think so. I mean, technically, technically you have to certify the election, but I don't think, I don't, I think they could have done it in other means. I mean, it wouldn't have done anything. So... But yeah, but yeah, this it's interesting. Um, so, so just because, like, maybe maybe one more comment on this, like, defense of the Capitol January sixth thing. You can, you know, just because you have legitimate grievances or maybe even illegitimate grievances that you want to talk about in a peaceful way, that doesn't mean that if something goes haywire, you have to throw in with that event. I was going to say, because even like the Oklahoma City bomber had some fair grievances with like some messed up stuff the government had done, but he still did like one of the worst possible acts ever. He pulled hundreds of innocent people. It's not chill no matter who you are. Right. So you want to be you want to be careful. Um, yeah, I know. I think we've worked through that pretty well. Okay. So um, Ku Klux Klan, first American domestic terrorist organization. That's an easy one. Has the Ku Klux Klan killed more people and caused more harm than any other terrorist organization in American history? Probably, yes. I mean, if you're looking at domestic groups, I mean, what, what, group, would it, what group would even come close to the amount of deaths and, and maiming and, and mental anguish and all that damage that the Klan did for, and still does some damage, yeah? I mean, the only other thing I could say is if you wanted to label the CSA as like a terrorist organization. Yeah. Because then it's like a war. But. Yeah. So, so um, it's a good way to, what, why is the Klan important in understanding domestic terrorists uh, in this country? They sort of like the OG domestic terrorists. Yeah, and they look. Yeah, they're the OG of domestic. I like the way you said that. The OG, the original gangster yeah. terrorist organization. And they look like a lot of. And the, and the ideology looks like a lot of these right wing groups today. Well, just that they uh, they kind of went away for a second, but then they came back and adopted the new right wing. So like they had their initial, but then they were after I think it said the 1970s. I don't remember what the book said. I think it was 1970s. They came back and they adopted new stances as well. Like okay. They extended it to Jews, to minorities in general, um, to, to basically anyone who wasn't a wasp. Right. Good. Yeah, I think that's, I think those are the reasons. So if you understand the Klan, you understand quite a bit about current groups, right? Okay. What is vigilante terrorism? Is that, does this have any, like anonymous, does anonymous fit in here somewhere? Yeah, absolutely, right, that's our whole thing. Like we're gonna get back at something. Somebody or the government or whoever did this thing and so we're gonna hack them and cause problems. And Isn't that almost more international world than just domestic? Sure, yeah, yeah. no, they're, they're definitely, in, they're, actually, you know what, I'm glad I mentioned them because they are a domestic group but they're also internet, they almost fit in our definition of transnational group, right? Does everybody agree with that? So they're good. Can't spell today. Anonymous. Anonymous. Who knows? It looks so bad you can't even read it. Um, okay. Vigilante getting revenge and doing it on your own. I mean, in, in a sense, all terrorism is vigilante terrorism, right? You're doing. You're you're getting. You're taking extra extra means that are violent, and you don't have the authority to do it because you haven't. You know, you're not the you're not the FBI or the CIA or Interpol or another kind of police organization. So this really doesn't matter, but under our definition, would Batman be a vigilante? <laughs> <laughs> Batman, um, yeah, Batman, I mean, Batman goes dark too sometimes. So I have no problem putting Batman in vigilante. I don't know, I haven't read all the comics. I've seen most of the movies. I mean, Batman's done some regrettable stuff, right? So, um, okay. So we have left wing, right wing, and then they have the transnational. Transnational. This is Gurr's um, description of ideology and terrorism. So on our left, we have what are what are our groups? We have the anarchist groups. 
Go ahead and just shout them out here. What else? We have Elf and Alf. I thought it was interesting that they split. Yeah. Uh, they split the the single issue terrorist groups between the two. Yeah. Well, they really are kind of focused on their on their thing. But it almost seems like left and right are almost saying, literally, like as in our left and right, like as in Democrat offshoot and Republican offshoot. Besides the anarchists. Um. Well, yeah, not so much maybe the party, but more like the ideology, the left ideology. Yeah. Um, you have the Puerto Rican, I'll just put PR national groups that don't really do anything anymore. And who else did they put in here? That's pretty much it. Any, any like Marxist group. So you have like an anarchy element, extreme, environmentalism, communism, Marxism, stuff is all part of these groups, okay? And just because, I mean, we've studied already in the history, anarchism was like the big, was like the big thing. I mean, if, if it was 100 years ago, we would be saying, I would be, you know, I wouldn't be showing you a video, but I'd be talking about, hey, we've got to watch out for anarchism. It's, you know, it's crazy. It's going to th cause problems. You know, we even had an we even had an anarchist assassination attempt in Idaho to try to blow the governor up with a bomb. Um, so it was a big deal. I mean, it was as big a deal as as the right wing stuff we're going to talk about today. So, okay, what about? Um, I think we already answered it. Why why have some argued that these groups aren't terrorist organizations? Elf and Alf. Well, because they make like an effort not to uh, not to kill. They don't kill people, right? But they cause damage, and so we've already we've already worked through that. Okay. All right. What about the? We got lots of groups here, and we could add some of the chapter didn't have. Um, so you have like the Aryan Nation. Christian Identity Movement. My favorite name for a terrorist organization, the Covenant of the Sword and the Arm of the Lord. It just rolls off the tongue, right? It's like that, whoever came up with that, good job. They need to hire that person to redo the ISIS. Flag. Flag, yes. Arm of the Lord. You have. Um, Montana Freeman, they did a profile in there. And then some of these new groups that we just talked about, you know, the Proud Boys or Three Percenters or whoever you want. There's a bunch of new ones. Um, where, is there like a geographical correlation with the right wing extremist groups in the United States? Yeah, they tend to be in the West, for one. Not always. I mean, there's a lot of like, that you can find chapters, I think, in uh, most of these groups. Um, that a lot of places in the country or people that like agree but it seems like to me that a lot of these have sort of cropped up in the west is there is it just me or do they seem to hide in like really rural like remote yeah rural remote uh, you know ex-military folks tend to gravitate towards these groups um, for some reason and you know why is there something in the part of the is there something in the western ideology that appeals to, to why you would see, you know, why is there a Montana Freeman? Why is the Aryan Nation in Idaho? I guess like, I've grown up in Idaho most of my life, and one of the things that is like a common thread is like the, you know, we're our own thing. Yeah. We want our own space, our own life. Very libertarian, Very libertarian, even in some ways, like, even if you're not part of a, a terrorist organization, there's, there's plenty of anti government yeah. ideology in the West. And so that's where I think that comes in. Um, so the problem, obviously, with the ex-military part of this is that these folks have training. So that's not a good thing, right? You don't want that. You want terrorists that aren't trained. <laughs> so. so is there any sort of like vetting process for that when you get into the military? Because I watched a documentary once that talked a lot about how most of our gangs in big cities and then a lot of these right-wing nationalist groups have received military training and then use that military training once they get out of the military. 
they check for that? Or well, no, these are, yeah, they do. I mean, they do check for it in the military and in government. But this is, these are folks that, that were just fine, and then somehow, you know, like Timothy McVeigh, you would have never known that he would be a terrorist. He, he became disenfranchised. He, laid, he got into, I mean, other than he had actually, and they wouldn't have probably known this, he, his mom had taken him to some Christian identity movement meetings, and, and he'd done, you know, he, he had read some stuff, some books and stuff, and, um, but he wasn't part of a group or anything. Um, so a lot of this, I think, either, either like him, had developed a little bit but not come full circle, or they develop it later. Um, you know, like Nadal Hassan, the Fort Hood shooter, I mean, that was the thing where he got radicalized while he was in the military by starting to watch, he was watching videos of, um, of AQAP, um, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, and then that sort of what radicalized him, but good question. Um, and then you have like some lone wolf folks that we could include in here, like, you know, and you could, not that you couldn't have left too, but you have like, well, the left, the, the, the Unabomber goes over here, right? Because he was an anarchist. Then you have like, um, Eric Rudolph, he was the Olympic, the Atlanta Olympic bomber. Has anybody seen, that's a good movie. Has anybody seen, what's the name of the movie? The movie about the guy who falsely got accused mm -hmm. of being, anybody see that's good? I thought that was well done. Um, Scott Roeder, who, was, who, who killed a doctor, an abortion, uh, abortion um, issue folks that have done violence would fit over here too. Any thoughts on the left and right classification? Okay, so what, so what about ideologies? So let's start with the left. Was that pretty clear? Anarchists, Marxists, communists, extreme environmentalists. Pretty much sums that, that, that side up. Um, right, what? Fascists. Strange views of like scripture <laughs> in the Old Testament, racist. Uh, other thoughts there? Um, anti very, I mean, they're both anti-government, right? The funny thing is they, these, they have a lot of similarities in their anti-government views. This is like kind of, you get to more, you know, especially with the anarchists, no government versus we don't like the form of government. We want to impose our own form of government, like we talked about with the, with the spectrum when we did that. We need, you know, uh, twisting of the Constitution here, too. You see a lot of that, you know. We can do it better than the government, so we're going to, Montana Freeman, we're going to print our own money type stuff, right? So. Um, what are the three main differences between terrorists here and in other countries? You guys remember that? Domestic terrorism. We treat it as an ordinary criminal act, and we don't, we already addressed this, and we don't define domestic terrorist groups. Many countries do. Ours terrorists tend to be older. Well, you could pretty much nail it. Most of the time, they tend to be older um, than maybe some of the international terrorists that we, we had talked about. And they tend to be white, right? And they tend to be male. And then, it, fortunately, we aren't having lots of frequent domestic terrorist acts although we're having more than I would like, or I think a lot of people would like, and the, and the concern is more of this happening, and then big, you get big events like Oklahoma City that you don't know are coming, and it's someone acting alone or with a little bit of help, and then you just, you know. You know, I think the worst case scenario is a guy like, and, and I don't even know, I don't think we know enough about him to even say that he was a terrorist, is the Las Vegas shooter. Just somebody like totally out of the blue, um, does something just not expected and causes a lot of damage and you don't even know. They don't even know, they're, they're, they're all puzzled, everybody's puzzled. They don't even know why he did it, so. Um, that was the guy from the Roof of the Billion at the concert, right? That was the guy, yeah, that was the guy in the, uh, what hotel is that, guys? I've, I've stayed there since then twice, Mandalay Bay. He was up in Mandalay Bay and he shot across the street. If you've been to Vegas and you've been by there, they used to hold, events basically across the street and they had um, concerts and stuff and, and 
he, apparently he had called around, unfortunately nobody caught on to this, but he called around to some different cities and he, would, he was looking up, he was trying to find an event he could shoot people from a building in. And he called Chicago and was asking about an event that was happening there. Because he wanted, he wanted his room in a specific location. So, and he was saying things like, I need to be able to see this. And obviously nobody was thinking that, you know, he just wants a good view, right? So, um, gosh, now I'm, I'm thinking about all kinds of movies. Has anybody seen the movie Worth on Netflix? It's so good. It's about the guy who decided how to, how to pay the 9-11 survivors. Anyways, they did a similar kind of uh, deal for the, for the victims of Las Vegas because you had so many people impacted that the payout and the hotel paid out a bunch of money. Um, you had to figure out how to distribute that money. But yeah, so that's the concerning thing is you get somebody, and I'm not even saying, I mean, he, was, he might not even, he might have just been in somebody that was really disgruntled with his life and decided he wanted to, you know, go out the way he did. But um, that's the concern. So, um, okay, what about, you had a little profile, you talked about Oklahoma City, right? What do we learn about, well, let's, let's take Timothy McVeigh for a minute and, and see what we can learn from him, because I think he's a pretty good, it's a pretty good case study. So you have, here you have this ex-military guy, you know, a pretty good guy, he doesn't have a, like an extensive criminal record or anything. Um, you know, he got into some of the stuff early on and sort of got radicalized, self-radicalized. He read a book called The Turner Diaries, which the chapter I think talked about, and, and The Turner Diaries is kind of this post-apocalyptic anti-government strange book and he actually slept with it so obviously he he became under his pillow no kidding so he became obsessed with this book um and and kind of saw it as a, a manual for life his mom had taken him to some his mom had taken him to some of the christian identity movement but he wasn't part of any formal group and sort of self-radicalized the government and then there was an event that also helped radicalize him um the david koresh uh, event in 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 texas where the fbi went in at waco texas and and uh, a bunch of people were killed, but uh, some law enforcement folks too. Um, and the, the, I don't, yeah, I guess it, maybe it depends on who you talk to. You know, um, did, did the FBI cause the fire or did the, the Koresh's folks cause the fire? So I'm not sure we know the answer to that. Um, anyways, the, a lot of people died and, and he was down there actually pro, kind of protesting and it really kind of radicalized him. And so that's why he sought out the, the particular building, the FBI building, uh, the Murrow building, and it had an FBI and other, it had a bunch of government departments in it um, to, to blow up. And then, you know, was in the military, knew a little bit about explosives, and made a truck bomb. So I've actually been to, did I tell you guys this? I've been to the Oklahoma City Memorial when I, when I went to that terrorism conference, and they do a really good job um, with, the, with the memorial there. But that's... That's kind of the, you know, unless you're, unless you're counting some, you know, state terrorism in the United States by, you know, by the government or, or another, or a state or, or individuals of the government, this is like the big kind of independent event that happens, so. Um, other, what else do we learn from anything else coming out of Oklahoma City? He, we put him to death which I, I, I think we should keep people like him alive um, because why would we, you know, regardless of like whether we believe in killing people for the death penalty, like this, this person has information and can help us understand the minds of terrorists, so why would we keep him, he's a resource, so let's keep him alive for that. But we decided to put him to death under the federal death penalty, so he's gone, but it's been 20 years. Other thoughts about him? So I think, yeah, there's lessons about so the, the radicalization process okay. for him. I think it's interesting how in his story we, we learn that even though there's so many terrorist groups on the, on the far right wing, that a lot of times none of them really, like there's people who want to be terrorists, but they don't fit in any of those groups still. And he was a good example because he went to the Montana Freeman, yes. he went to the Aryan Nation, he went to the CIM, but he never officially joined any of the groups. Correct. The only group he joined was the... KKK. Yeah, so he so he was a lone a lone wolf that had like uh, he had like the ideological leanings of the, all these these right wing groups kind of mixed into him and 
Yeah. So if you say that like some of these groups kind of, because I've seen like some parents groups that kind of encourage like people to do local stuff because they don't want to be necessarily associated with some of the terrorist attacks even though they are a terrorist group and they're encouraging the attacks. So like the, the people who perform the attacks like are maybe not so obviously linked to a group. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But are there any like pushes from the group to be like, okay, you should do this and this and this, this is how you do it, but like, well, I think that's a good question. Is I, I think you're right. I think a lot of I think um, I think a lot of folks are, and maybe it's not even one one group necessarily. There's a lot of folks that are inspired to be lone wolves to do things on their own that are basically because you know they've either either looked into the groups or they start to read their stuff or or whatever, but they're not necessarily affiliated. They just go do things, and then that's the best case scenario for a terrorist group, right? You don't even have to do it. You just inspire people to do it. So, like the Aryan Nation, I think I talked about them earlier. They're a group where they've had some folks, you know, nothing huge, but they've had some folks in their, in, that had affiliations with their group do attacks, but they were never planned by the group. So then they can, they can sit up there in northern Idaho and spout their nonsense and, and not ever really get rolled up by the government because they didn't do anything, right? So I think your point is well taken. Yeah. Would you say that um, like more ter like domestic terrorism is done by lone groups rather than like these affiliated groups because like it's easier yes. for them to carry the That's a great question. And, like bigger groups like they have the past information so like they have more opportunities to get caught and like Yes, absolutely I agree absolutely 100%. Um, I think that's the big worry and 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 even like either they you know they're just believing in some of this stuff or the group that I think a lot of people are concerned about that's not even it's kind of an abstract group is sovereign citizens. So you guys, are you guys familiar with sovereign citizens? And you see sovereign citizen ideology in all these groups. They're, they believe that you don't have to pay taxes and if you sign government documents and crayon, it doesn't count and stuff like that. So there's people that have sovereigns, and I'm gonna show you a video here in a second, but there's people that have, it sounds funny, but they actually believe this. Um, in, in some ways, like you even see a few, like in the QAnon movement, you see some weird like anti-government strains I mean, really strange. Um, you know, when you start believing in this international pedophile ring that half of them are lizards. I mean, that's that's out there, right? I mean, I saw the I saw the there's a TV show show in the '80s called V that was actually excellent, um, and the people were actually lizards in that. So, but it's not true. There's no lizard people. Um, I'm so. Yeah, I know you're disappointed. I think, you know, when you peel the skin back, there's lizards under there. So, um, but yeah, sovereign citizens is—it's it, an actual kind of an idea. It's not really a formal group. It's it's, a, it's an idea. But you've had a lot of people who are sovereign citizens that will have killed people in the last number of years. In fact, the the there was a police. Actually, there's two policemen. I think two policemen killed in Las Vegas five or six years ago by a sovereign citizen couple that just went into a breakfast restaurant and executed them. One of the one of the policemen was in my brother's ward in Las Vegas. So, I mean, you have a lot of stuff like that happening. Um, yeah. Question. So, on the, on the right wing side, there's, you know, a lot of these people that did the ambush to the Capitol building have claimed they're part of this called Patriot Party. Yeah. Does it fall into that category too, on, the, on this side of the risk of terrorism? Yeah, they would all, those groups would all go over party. here. Yeah, yeah. Those there's a bunch of new ones, and, and some of them, you know, and maybe to defend some of them, they haven't really done anything, um, but they certainly sound like all these other groups, um, and so and so, you know, when they're two or three years old or a year old or whatever they are, you sort of you're kind of in the watch and see, and the FBI is like, you know, we'll say things like we're concerned with this group, and, and things like that. So, okay, let me pull up this video about sovereign citizens for you. Because like I said, most people don't even know what the heck, haven't even heard of this. You do have to pay your taxes, unfortunately. Where is it? Sorry guys, I should have supposed to get this ready before. Okay. Domestic 
Uh, what do you guys think of the Perfect Terrorist video? I mean, obviously, you know, not a great guy. <laughs> Interesting, eyes, though, right? His eyes are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, interesting story. It kind of reminded me of like the social case with the boy named Gabriel, where like there were a bunch of red flags about him being confused at home and like oh, yeah. kind of ignore them and it's like kind of the same thing, a bunch of red flags and everyone's just kind of like on each other. Oh, yeah. May the 20th, 2010, started out like any other day. Two veterans of our West Memphis, Arkansas Police Department, Bill Evans and Brandon Powers, were patrolling the interstate as part of the department's drug and addiction team, something they loved to do. They became involved in what seemed to be a routine traffic stop, though I've always warned my officers there is no such thing. But really, how much more routine can you get than pulling over a father and son in what looked like a church bus. My men didn't realize who or what they were dealing with. Neither officer made it home. And one of them was my son. I'm Bob Powder, Chief of the West Memphis Police Department. My officers, Bill and my son Brandon, didn't realize that there are people at war with this country that are not international terrorists. They are seemingly ordinary people, just like you and me, but they don't recognize the federal government's authority to impose laws or taxes on them. They're known as sovereign citizens. Their beliefs may sound so out there that they appear comical or crazy, but don't discount or ignore these people because they're willing to kill and be killed for these beliefs. We as law enforcement officers need to recognize this very real threat so we can protect ourselves. And maybe if Brandon and Bill had been able to recognize the warning signs of sovereign beliefs, they'd be alive today. In 1995, 168 men, women, and children were killed in the worst domestic terrorist attack on American soil in our nation's history. Aimed at the federal government and law enforcement, the bombing in Oklahoma City was the horrific symbol of the wave of anti-government sentiment that swept across the country in the 1990s. I'm retired ATF Special Agent in Charge, James Cavanaugh. I spent more than 30 years at the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and I was there at the beginning of the so-called Patriot Movement. I watched in 1992 as the standoff between law enforcement and a white separatist, Randy Weaver, in Ruby Ridge, Idaho, ended with the deaths of a federal marshal and Weaver's wife and son. I was there in the shootout the next year when David Koresh and one of the seven Davis followers, along with four ATF agents, died in a fiery sea. Ruby Ridge was important for McVeigh, too. I think I talked about it in the book. First, was that these events were a catalyst, a catalyst for the growth of a radical anti-government movement, a catalyst for the birth of armed militias. At its height, there were more than 800 of these anti-government groups throughout the country. Some were part of what is called the sovereign citizen movement. They believe the government has no right to tax or impose laws on them. Following law enforcement crackdowns after Oklahoma City, many anti-government groups disappeared. But the threat from hardcore elements of the radical right continued to simmer. In fact, between the Oklahoma City bombing and the recent West Memphis shootings, approximately 30 law enforcement officers lost their lives to homegrown extremists. Two officers were killed in Abbeville, South Carolina in 2003, for example, by extremists who did not believe the government had any right to use a tiny portion of their land to widen the public road. Today, the threat of radical right violence against police officers has escalated because the radical anti-government movement has swelled once again. Jerry and Joe Kay 
the father and son who were involved in the murders of the two officers in West Memphis, traveled around the country giving seminars on how to supposedly circumvent the legal system. So what we're after here is not fighting, it's conquering. Right. I don't want to have to kill anybody. But if they keep messing with me, that's what it's going to have to come out. That's what it's going to come down to, is I'm going to have to kill. And if I have to kill one, then I'm not going to be able to stop. I just know it. I mean, I have a Along with physical confrontations. So we had, so we had, that we had the discussion about the free speech. That's across the line. So obviously, like, group. I mean, you can't talk that openly. As soon as you're planning and implying saying you're going to kill people, you've your free speech rights are gone. Practice a form of harassment and intimidation, often referred to as paper terrorism. They file bogus claims or liens against officers, prosecutors, and judges that can be difficult to get removed from court records. In 2010 alone, sovereign citizens have filed liens, cease and desist orders, and documents called letters of mark or truth affidavits against officers and agencies across the country. The following are some indicators that you as an officer need to be aware of to protect yourself. They are signs that the person you've encountered considers himself to be a sovereign citizen who is immune from the law. The first thing that any officer notices at a traffic stop is the vehicle's license plate. If you try to call in many sovereign plates, you'll find no record of them, and for good reason. They're either homemade or professionally produced fakes. They may display the names of strange nations, embassies or tribes. They may refer to the Uniform Commercial Code or the Constitution. Bumper stickers are another easily visible sign of sovereign beliefs, one that reads, Posse comitatus, which is Latin for power or force of the county, means the driver believes county officials, such as sheriffs, are the highest level of law enforcement, and that the federal government and its officers don't have any legal authority. Stickers such as, I am an American national, or not subject to corporate federal or corporate state jurisdiction, are signs that the vehicle's occupants are part of the radical anti-government movement. When asked for their driver's license, vehicle registration, or other identification, sovereigns may show documents that at first might look legitimate, but after a closer inspection are obviously fake. The fake driver's license could have the words, without prejudice, UCC 1-207, a reference to the Uniform Commercial Code. What might look like a real social security card to you may actually read, social security, socialism in America, still 100% voluntary for global domination and slavery, not for identification. Sovereigns often will have unusual responses to routine questions about their identification or license plate. If the officer asks the person's name, a sovereign may respond, I am a free man traveling upon the land, or what authority do you have to question a sovereign? If asked for a driver's license, the person might say, is one required of a sovereign? Or they might ask you for your delegation of authority. If you continue questioning them, they might say, officer, I do not believe I nor this private vehicle falls under your jurisdiction. And here is the proof. Then they might show you what appear to be legal documents. Jerry Kane handed West Memphis officers Brandon Powder and Bill Evans some odd looking papers. Powder and Evans didn't recognize the documents or understand what they meant. Many sovereigns signed legal documents in red ink or with a thumbprint in red ink. The subject's name might be in all capital letters or have strange punctuations such as the first name, the hyphen, the middle name, followed by a colon, the last name. Sovereigns 